The world today is home to over 190 countries using 180 currencies to trade, invest, and collect taxes. This is to say nothing of the up-and-comers like cryptocurrencies and age-old reserves like gold and silver. The global economy is complex at the best of times, and the foreign exchange, or forex market, only looks to add an additional layer of confusion to this complexity. Currency is supposed to be the legal tender that makes trade easier for everyone. So this begs the question, could the world adopt a single, universal currency? It sounds like such an obvious solution that would wipe out the frustrations at all levels of global industry, from someone desperately trying to exchange yen for euros at the airport, all the way up to international companies managing their foreign operations. This is not just about convenience, though. Removing the burdens of transactions has a very real impact on the economy. Humanity has evolved its financial system from bartering to gold coins to fiat currency, all the way up to the modern day, where we make a majority of our transactions completely digitally. With every step of this evolutionary process, earning and spending money has become easier, massively boosting quality of life. A single worldwide currency surely sounds like the logical next step in creating a truly frictionless globalised marketplace. But of course, there are questions that must be answered. What are the drawbacks of a single currency? How would it be rolled out? And do the advantages really make it worthwhile? This episode of Economics Explained was made possible by our fans on Patreon. If you would like to gain early access to these videos before they're uploaded to YouTube, as well as participate in exclusive Q&A sessions, please consider supporting our channel on patreon.com slash economicsexplained. Now, universal currencies are not necessarily a totally new thing. For hundreds of years, gold was almost universally accepted as a standard medium of exchange. In the modern world, the European Union has adopted the euro to varying degrees of success. So perhaps the best way to address the viability of a worldwide currency is to really explore these other currencies. Do what economists do best and use Europe as the guinea pig. Mediums of exchange have been around for a very long time. We have found examples of everything from seashells to wooden sticks being used to facilitate the exchange of basic societies. Having a universally accepted medium of exchange made trade far easier than the alternative, which was bartering. Bartering, or item-to-item exchange, meant that people ran into a lot of problems. Say there was a goat farmer looking to do his monthly shopping trip. He would need to find people selling the items that he wants, and those people would need to also want to trade those items for goats. Even then, it's hard to trade one goat for one loaf of bread, because that's not a fair trade. But also, the goat farmer doesn't need 30 loaves of bread, so what do they do? Divide the goat into 30? It just doesn't work. The other major problem that's often overlooked is that say this goat farmer works particularly hard and is very successful, it's hard to store wealth in goats. They die and are hard to maintain. The difficulty involved in trading and the lack of incentive to grow genuine and storable wealth meant that economies were really limited to small communal and self-sufficient villages. These small communal villages were great. They were the foundations of modern society, but they did very little to increase the quality of life of the citizens living within them. People more or less had to do everything themselves. 
There was no time to specialise and become an engineer or a scientist because every waking hour was needed just to facilitate the bare essentials. It has been said before, and it will be said again, that financial innovation has been every bit as important as technical innovation throughout history because it's really, really difficult to have one without the other. All of the problems with trading through a bartering system are called frictions by economists. By definition, a friction is any difficulty incurred in carrying out a transaction. If someone gets frustrated that a credit card terminal is down at their local fast food joint and they can't buy their burger because they forgot their cash, that is a transactional friction. Of course, the goat farmer of yore was probably facing slightly more significant frictions. Now, most people watching a video on economics don't need the shortcomings of a barter system explained to them that meticulously. But the takeaway here is that frictions exist in all types of exchange. Gold alleviated a lot of these problems. Then there was gold-backed cash. And then there was fiat currency. And today, we have our electronic financial system. But just the same as the goat farmer not wanting to trade with the neighbouring village because of how difficult it was, people are reluctant to trade internationally because it adds a significant layer of complexity. This in turn stops countries from trading and instead preferring to be more self-sufficient. Just like self-sufficient villages, totally self-sufficient countries are fine. But just like in the villages, not specialising reduces the potential prosperity for the entire global economy. Nowhere was this more apparent than in Europe which is a concentrated area of highly developed economies, all with strong independent industries. Before 1999, if these countries wanted to collaborate on business deals, set up supply chains, or even share talented individuals, they would find it very difficult to do so. The risks of dealing with foreign currency are very significant to a business. If Germany ordered 10,000 car engines from Italy, then they would need to decide on a currency to exchange in. Since Italy is doing the selling and Germany is doing the buying, it would most likely be done in Italian lira. They might agree that the 10,000 engines will be produced for 1 million lira, sign some contracts and then get to building the engines. And let's say for simplicity, the exchange rate was 1 Italian lira for 1 German Deutschmark. Two months later, and the engines are assembled, the Italian factory will be ready to settle on the contract. But there is a problem. Now the German Deutschmark is only worth half a lira after a massive bank failure in Germany. If this happened, and this type of stuff does happen, then the German carmaker would end up needing to pay twice as much as they had originally planned for, for their supply of engines. Foreign exchange risk is something that international businesses need to deal with all the time, and they tend to do so by basically buying insurance on Forex pricing using derivatives. This is no problem for major corporations, but for a lot of small to medium enterprises, it's just not worth the cost or the headaches. Even if it meant getting slightly worse engines, they would rather source them from Germany to avoid these problems altogether. Introducing the Euro got rid of this. Now Germans could put Italian engines in French cars and assemble them in Spain. It was almost as simple as doing business in a single country. Not only did this make industrial specialisation possible, but it also made working abroad easier as well. Today, a staggering 4% of Europeans live and work in a country different from their home country. This is great, because it means that companies offering competitive positions can draw from a larger talent pool that would have otherwise been available to them. 
Better workers for the job means more productivity, which means more production, which means more goods and services to improve everybody's quality of life. So it sounds like a win-win all around, right? Less foreign exchange friction means countries can get together to do business more efficiently. But of course, there are major concerns. First of which is that of monetary control. The European debt crisis is a major ongoing problem facing a select group of nations in the European Union. Caused by irresponsible lending to governments, businesses and individuals, countries like Greece are still feeling the impacts of a global financial crisis that happened 12 years ago. This is bad news for all of the other nations in the European Union that weren't as irresponsible. Since they all share the same currency, they are all shackled together in international financial markets. If Germany wanted to borrow money to fund new infrastructure projects, most investors would have no problem with that deal. Germany is in fact one of the few countries in the world that still has a AAA credit rating. The problem is that the euro is not quite as stable as Germany is. The potential investors would not be so sure that the currency that they loan the money in will be worth anything once it's repaid. This means that Germany has to borrow in another currency, like US dollars, which is a bad deal for them, or they have to offer investors a higher interest rate to compensate them for the risk, which is again, also a really bad deal. Through no fault of their own, Germany has been dragged down by an underperforming member of their team. Weirdly enough, the news isn't any better for Greece either. Normally, if a country is struggling, its currency will reduce in value meaning that its exports become artificially cheaper and it becomes more competitive to visit as a tourist. The benefits of a free-floating currency tend to self-stabilise a country that is having issues. But of course, Greece was tied to the euro, so this didn't happen. That Greek holiday was still just as expensive as ever, and the nation's exports were being crushed by German exports. We have explored the European debt crisis in far more detail when we explore the economy of Greece specifically. As this event related to currency though, it's best to think about it like this. Think of Greece as someone who just lost their job. This is never a good time, but if they are frugal and started looking for a new job as soon as possible, they would probably get back on their feet. The problem is, their roommate, Germany, still has a great job and insists on ordering in food, going out partying, and doesn't really like the idea of selling the TV to make ends meet. Greece was, in a sense, being forced to keep up with a lifestyle that was never sustainable to them simply because they shared that apartment with Germany. Or shared that currency with Germany. Now, currency exchange safety features are great, but it could easily be argued that the benefits of the euro and the European Union have massively outweighed the burdens. And if this is the case, then why not extend this universal currency idea to the entire world? We have seen the benefits, and the burdens are manageable in the long term. But perhaps the biggest question is, who would control it? In most countries, the domestic currency is controlled by a central bank and the federal government. These two entities control the creation of money and the setting of the cash rate. In Europe, The euro is controlled by the European Central Bank, which consults with the central banks of member countries to do the same thing. And there are a few countries in the world that don't actually control their own currency at all. Countries like El Salvador and Zimbabwe just use US dollars for domestic and international trade because it is easier and more stable than printing and managing their own currency. 
The same is true for countries like Montenegro and Kosovo, which use the Euro while not actually being part of the European Union. These countries give up a lot of control to do this. For starters, it is hypothetically possible for their country to be completely drained dry of currency with no way to replace it. It also means that their banks cannot operate under the standard fractional reserve system that most other banks do, which will severely restrict access to credit in these countries. If a single world currency was introduced and controlled by a completely independent global central bank, this would be a major concern for all countries. If they were to let all banks in all countries create money through debt, then there would be nothing to stop one country literally just printing itself trillions of these worldwide dollars. If they were to restrict this practice entirely, then a lot of businesses would not be able to access capital and growth would be severely impacted. These kind of restrictions would also usher in a new era of mercantilism, meaning that countries would desperately try to hoard this universal currency as a store of power, similar to how gold was hoarded before the widespread introduction of fiat currencies. Mercantilism is the idea that a country can achieve wealth and prosperity by stockpiling gold, or in this case a hypothetical world reserve currency, by exporting more than it imports. This kind of mindset would mean that countries would be incentivized to heavily restrict imports because that means that money is being sent overseas to pay for those imports. The restriction of trade is literally the opposite of what this universal currency was trying to achieve. So this would be a catastrophic failure. If domestic banks were allowed to create credit, as they can do today in most countries, then this would need to have serious controls in place. Where would these controls come from? Well, hypothetically from the global central bank. But who would be in charge of this bank? Even if it were totally neutral in theory, it would still have some kind of leadership structure. If the chairman of this global bank were an American, Would there be concerns from other nations with opposing interests? The answer is almost inevitably yes. Europe can get away with a centralised currency because all of the participating nations are strong allies. If countries were not aligned, or even worse, at war with one another, there would simply be no fair way to administer this global currency. Nations realise this, and while there would undoubtedly be advantages, it would not outweigh the benefits of the national liberty that they would be giving up. In a world with nation-to-nation hostilities, this system will never be adopted. And if history has taught us anything, it's that there will always be hostilities. We would be remiss if we didn't mention cryptocurrency, because heaven knows the comments section will. A lot of cryptocurrencies are built on the idea that they will introduce a new medium of exchange that is completely decentralised from any banking institution. These virtual currencies show a lot of potential as the money of the future. Now for argument's sake, we're going to avoid the problems that a lot of these currencies have. For more details on that, go and watch our video on the economics of Bitcoin. But there is one other problem with such a solution that goes beyond just the technical limitation of these currencies. If everything worked perfectly, these currencies would have a hard cap on supply. Bitcoin, for example, will never have more than 21 million coins in existence. This makes coins very similar to gold, in that both of them have a limited supply, intrinsic value, and can be used as a store of wealth. If the adoption of such a currency was to become widespread, then financial institutions will just do what they did with gold and use them as a reserve asset. 
They will issue promissory notes and administer credit on cryptocurrency reserves that they don't truly have. Some may argue that this will still be better than the totally fiat system that we have today. It probably won't radically change anything major about banking, but it will introduce an extra layer of complexity that we have been trying to avoid all along. This is always a topic that people are extremely passionate about. So let us know how you think such a currency system would work in reality, and we will feature the best answer in the next video we do on cryptocurrencies. Oftentimes when economists play around with hypothetical ideas like a universal worldwide currency, they will come to the conclusion that it is possible, but not likely to provide many benefits. In reality, a single worldwide currency would have its advantages, and if it was administered responsibly, these advantages could easily outweigh the costs. But this is making the huge assumption that something with so much power and influence could be administered responsibly. In the meantime, no country in the world is going to give up their sovereign power that managing their own currency gives them, just for the hope that they will make online shopping a little bit easier, airports a little less stressful, and business a little bit smoother. Hi guys, I hope you enjoyed the latest video. If you did, please consider liking and subscribing. This video is made possible by our patrons over on Patreon. If you want to have your say about what country or topic we explore next, please consider supporting the channel like these awesome people did. Thanks guys. Bye.